You're listening to the podcast of The Branch in Ashland, Virginia. Hope is something that's future-facing. We look for hope. We wait for hope. Hope propels us and motivates us to keep moving forward. As we consider the theme of hope during Advent, we look at some words written by David, the shepherd, the king, the musician, and the psalm writer. David understood man's tendency to place hope in things that would eventually fall away. And so he tells his readers to ground their hope in the loving kindness of God. This week as I was preparing for the message, I I went on Google because, you know, that's what you do when you can't think of illustrations yourself. And, um, you know, for those of you who don't know, I talk strengths all the time. Activator is one of my strengths. And when I explain activator to people, I say, ready, fire, aim is my mantra, which means that I don't always think through things very well before I jump. So that's exactly what happened when I went on Google and I decided that I wanted to find a, an illustration. I knew kind of what I was looking for, but I wasn't 100% sure. So I type in all hope is lost in the, in the uh, search engine. And all of a sudden, it was like I was waiting for alarms to start going off on my computer because the suicide prevention hotline came up first. And then there were all these resources that popped up to me telling me like life was worth living. And I was like, I guess I should have rethought that. So I kind of reframed my question, went back in there. I was super excited that Google was pointing me to the right place if all hope was truly lost. But where I was hoping it was going to lead me was to uh, an Austrian psych psychologist or psychiatrist and Holocaust survivor named Viktor Frankl, who some of you may be familiar with. I, I knew that he had quotes out there because he wrote a book years ago called Man's Search for Meaning. And uh, having, having lived through the atrocities of the Holocaust, he understood uh, the necessity for hope. And he wrote down, after his, obser- after his experiences, he wrote down some of his observations, even in regards to hope. And although once people got to those camps, the guards did whatever they could to try to dash their hopes in whatever way they could. Um, Frankel wrote this, he said, The prisoner who had lost faith in the future, his future was doomed. With his loss of belief in the future, he also lost his spiritual hold. He let himself decline and become subject to mental and physical decay. As we consider hope during this Advent season, our our hope needs to be a living hope like what we just sang about. It needs to be a hope in the Lord, a future hope, a hope that resides on our front porch and invites others into it as well. And hope is always forward-facing. It's looking forward. And when we say, I hope, it's something that we hope is going to happen in the future. It's what is to come rather than what's happened or what's happening now. And at the same time, as Christians with hope, uh, we have to look backwards to see what God has done, which will hopefully propel us to the future and give us that future hope. And if there's anybody who understood this idea of hope and God's promises and what would happen in the future, it was David. 
I've mentioned before that, that the Psalms are kind of my go-to place. They're my default place in the Scriptures, the place where I'll go back to constantly because I feel like David and the other psalmists are ones who are just really honest about what was going on inside them and that they would share things, their anger, their frustration, their sadness, their depression, their difficulty, their joy, and they would always land on this place of hope. They would always land in this place where they were remembering that the future hope was in God and God alone. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Psalm 33. It'll be up on the screen as well. Looking at a portion of this psalm in regards to hope. And starting in verse 16 of Psalm 33, this is what we read, No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear Him, on those whose hope is in His unfailing love to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In Him, our hearts rejoice, for we trust in His holy name. May Your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in You. And thinking about David being the one who wrote these words, if we look at the history of Israel, God's people in Israel, their, their hope was for the future and it was grounded in salvation that they knew would come. The prophets had foretold of the Messiah who was going to come and, and rescue them. And David, as he writes, having been the king, he understands uh, that that sometimes we can have misplaced hope. That we can have a tendency to put our hope in things that, that won't come true. Things that um, maybe we're relying on rather than looking to God. That first verse right out of the gate, David says it. No king is saved by the size of his army. You know, for those who don't profess faith in Christ, for those who don't trust in Jesus for salvation, and even for those who, who do trust Jesus, I think there can be a tendency sometimes to want to put our eyes on the, the focus of our hope. We want to be able to see something in order to believe it and in order to trust it and put our hope there. And Paul reminded the Roman church in Romans 8, though, that that hope which is seen is no hope at all. That oftentimes our hope is something that we can't see. We just have to trust. We just have to keep pressing forward. And that's where Israel was. And David, who was one of their kings, understood this tendency to look. And to look at all the things that he had amassed. And said, wow, look at this army Look at these horses. Look at these soldiers. Look at my riches. Look at my kingdom. Look at my wives. Look at all this stuff that I have gained. That's reason for me to hope. And David is reminding his reader and probably reminding himself that all of those things are things that will fall, or will things that will fail. It's not the size of our army. It's not our great strength that will save us. Deliverance won't come through the horse. 
he writes, these are the things a king would look to. In fact, these are the things that Israel looked to. The reason why Israel wanted a king was so that they could look like everybody else around them because they thought a king was the place where they would put their hope. They thought that if they just had a strong leader in front of them, if they just could make this happen, then all of a sudden all of their hope uh, would be realized in this person. And David, even as we think about David and his story, if we play it out, that he even fell short. You know, God kind of punished him because he decided he was going to count all the things that he had amassed. And, and God said, you know, you were disobedient to me. And you started looking at everything that you had done and you stopped putting your hope in me. And I think we can easily do the same thing. We can have misplaced hope. And I wonder, you know, David talks about armies and horses. How about for us? What's the modern equivalent of that? Where are the places where we misplace our hope? What are the things that we look for and say, well, that's where I think my hope will rest? Is it in our jobs? Is it in our, uh, our families? Is it in the things that we've accumulated for ourselves? If I, I hope that I can just get here, it's an accomplishment. Or I hope that I can just buy this. And our hope is misplaced when we put in those other things in science and technology. I started, most, some of you know, I am, I'm a pretty avid reader and I started a book this weekend called Being Mortal. It's not a Christian book, but it's written by a doctor and a surgeon and he talks about the fact that our culture has, has created this almost self or um, false sense of of security because of technology and how the medical profession has allowed people to live so long. And I think as we look at the work of our hands and the work of the hands of the people uh, in our culture and our world, we can easily lose sight of the fact that our hope is misplaced if we put it in technology or we put it in medicine or we put it in politics or we put it in any of these things those things will all fail us. We can easily find our hope in jobs, in possessions, in governments, in elected officials, in people we surround ourselves with, and other things. But those things are here and now, and there's no guaranteed future in them. And God says to us, don't put your hope in these things because they will fail you. They might look good for a time, they might last for a minute, but then they'll eventually let us down. And David points in this psalm to where our hope needs to lie. It needs to lie in something eternal, something that will last. And David points us to that very thing, the forever and eternal loving kindness of God. He tells us to put our hope in the unfailing love of the Lord and as is the case with a lot of Hebrew words, the word that's translated here, loving kindness, is the Hebrew word chesed. Last week we talked about peace, which is often comes from the Hebrew word shalom. Well, this word, just like shalom, has kind of a wide array of definitions. Chesed is similar. 
that it, it's loving kindness, but it's so much more than that. It's faithfulness. It's rescue and salvation to one in need. It's loyalty. It's love. It's all of those things combined together. You see, our hope is not in temporary failing things. It's in God's loyal and faithful love. You know, we're not saved by our own efforts, by our own works, by the works of our hand. We're saved because of the loving kindness of the Lord. It's not something we attain on our own. It's not something that we somehow deserve or, or make happen. But it comes to us because of the loving kindness of God. For all of us tryhards out there who, who try so hard always to attain something, we finally find something in life that we can't beat. We can't win. It comes to us simply by grace and by the loving kindness of God. And Peter writes to the early church. The early church who was facing persecution, facing difficulties and challenges. And he's reminding them that their hope doesn't lie in their current situation. It doesn't lie in the things that are happening right there and then, but there, it's for something in the future. And in 1 Peter 1, <clears throat> verses 3-5, through Peter reminds them and he says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. We hope for something that's firmly planted in the future. Something that's protected and preserved, as, as Peter says. Something that won't spoil, it won't fade. That living hope is the hope of the resurrection of Jesus. You know, before Jesus, the Israelites had a future hope. It was the hope of a Messiah who was going to come and, and be their Savior. But it was always something out there in the future. Something they were looking forward to. Something they needed to fix their eyes on. And, and honestly, over and over again, when we read through the Old Testament, we see how many times the people lost sight of the future and they put their eyes on the things that were around them. They put their hope on the things that were around them. We know that Jesus was and is the Messiah, the promised one. He came, He lived, He died, He rose again. Once Jesus died and rose again, the hope of Israel and the hope of Christians is planted in the future return of Jesus. It's still future focused. That's what Advent's about. When we talk about Advent, we're talking about, yes, the initial first coming of Jesus as a baby, but we're also looking to the future and putting our hope in the fact that there will be a second Advent, that Jesus will return, and our hope is firmly planted on that, something that will happen in the future. Can we see His unfailing love, His, His chesed? How do we hope for what we don't see? How do we hope for something when all we want to do is have our eyes on it and, and wonder, is this ever going to happen? That's what God's people thought. They wondered, is this ever going to happen? Is a Messiah ever going to come? Is God ever going to keep His promises? 
David knew the tendency to find something tangible and visible to attach our hope to. That's why David says we wait in hope for the Lord. He's our help. He's our shield. Our trust is in His holy name. Paul writing to the church in Philippi in Philippians chapter 2, he writes this. He says, Therefore God exalted Him to the highest place and gave Him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We put our trust in God's loving kindness. We put our trust in the name of the Lord. And Paul tells us that there's significance in the name of the Lord. That that God gave Jesus the name that is above every name. That at that name, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. That's a hard thing for us to wrap our heads around in a culture where that name is thrown out so easily, even as a swear word. And wonder, is there really power in that name? And Paul says, yes. And David says, yes, there's power in the name of Jesus. And we look at this loving kindness of the Lord and we see what He has done. What He has done that gives us hope for what He will do. His loving kindness gives us hope for the future. And so, how compelling is our hope then? What do others see? Last week as we looked at this idea of peace, I talked about the the front porch. That on the front porch is where people make decisions whether or not they're going to walk in and they're going to see what else is there. And so when it comes to hope, how are we showcasing hope on the front porch? What do people see that will either make them say, hey, I want to see what's behind this i want to see what's inside here or say you know what i'm never going to go on that porch again i'm going to stay clear of that are they wanting to put their hope in the same place that they've seen us put our hope and just like david we need to wait and hope we hope for something that propels us and sustains us and pushes us forward. It was the ho- that kind of hope that propelled Frankel when he was in the midst of the terrors and the difficulties and the challenges, the horosities really of, of, of the concentration camp. When the Israelites wandered in the desert, they waited in hope for the promises that God had made to them. When Israel was exiled in foreign lands, they waited in hope that God's promises to take them back to their home would come true. When they were told Israel, when when Israel was told that a Messiah would come and would rescue them, they waited in hope for what would come. And when Jesus' disciples and friends and family saw His body on that cross, dead and put into the tomb, they waited in hope, wondering if something would happen in the future, or was this the end of their hope? Was this it? Could they keep hoping for what would come true? That's why in Luke chapter 24, when we read about the resurrection account, that Peter, as soon as he got word that the tomb was empty, he ran. He didn't walk. He didn't crawl. He ran to the tomb because he wanted to find out 
whether or not that hope was something that would sustain him into the future. And I think that's what's even more powerful about the words that he wrote to the early church because he had experienced that before. Because he had wondered whether that hope was preserved and protected. If it was free from being tainted or tarnished. And he knew when he saw that empty tomb that his hope was still alive. That it was a living hope protected and preserved in heaven. Hope gives us excitement. Hope gives us patience. Hope helps us look to the future of what will be even if what was and what is seems bleak. You know, honestly, I think one of the places where that shows the front porch of hope for Christians is when we experience loss. I mean, we have a family text thread and my mother-in-law texted us this week. She had gone to a funeral and it it was a hopeless funeral, it sounded like. Because their hope was not grounded in something future. Their hope was grounded in something that was easily going to fail them. But go to a a funeral where the person who, who died knows and knew Jesus. There's a future hope there that people look forward to. And yes, it's bleak. Yes, it's hard. It's difficult. But there's something that propels us and sustains us because there's hope. There's hope in Jesus. There's hope in the empty tomb. There's hope in His resurrection that we too will experience the same thing and we can plant our hope firmly in that living hope, that future hope, something that we will experience. What do people see of our hope? What do people see when we sit on the front porch with them? Do they experience hope and say, I want something like that because the hope that you have is different. I don't see that hope anywhere else. And I've been putting my hope in things that are going to fall and things that are going to fail. Do we point to the hope of Israel as the one in whom all of our hope lies? The Messiah who has come and who will come again. And so, what do we do with all this? We have, as we in a few minutes take communion together, we will come to the table after having confessed before the Lord. We're not incredibly liturgical here in terms of like having specific sections of our service, but, but in the liturgy of coming to the Lord's table is a time of confession where we bring to Him the things that where we fail our sins. And I wonder in what places have we put our hope? Where have we falsely placed our hope? You know, it's not a shaming thing, it's a confession thing. Where we can pray, you know, as we if you use that card um, that's in the in the chair in front of you, feel free to interject that into that. Lord, I confess I've falsely put hope in my job. I've falsely put hope in my relationships and my friendships or, or my possessions or my status or, or the number of followers I have on social media or whatever it is. God says, you need to put your hope in my loving kindness. And so, where are the places where we've misplaced our hope? And then what does our hope look like to others? What do people see? on our front porch 
Do they see us pointing hope in the same places where they've put hope? Or do they see us putting our hope in something that's living, alive, and future-focused? That Jesus has come and He will come again. Let me pray for us. God, You are our living hope. You are the one in whom true hope resides. And yet I know my tendency, God, is to want to put my eyes on wherever my hope is found. And that's hard. It's difficult to move past that, to move beyond that. So Father, I confess that I've fallen short in terms of putting my hope in You. But Father, this table that we come to this morning is a table of hope. So remind us of that. That we've done nothing to have earned it. We can't, we don't necessarily deserve it, but God, through Your loving kindness, through Your your chesed, through Your grace, You give us what we don't deserve. So Father, may we see this table as a place of hope where we can find You and firmly plant our hope in You. In Jesus' name, Amen. So where are your misplaced hopes? What have you been relying on to propel you forward? Is it the hope of Jesus or something that's temporal and fleeting? I hope you'll find your hope in Jesus and in the hope of His future return and that you can showcase that hope on your front porch so that others might see their own need for placing their hope in something eternal that will not spoil, fade, or perish. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at thebranchashland at gmail.com. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, give us a review, and share with your friends and family. Thanks for listening. See you next time.